Hey guys, how's it going? Jovan Hutton Pulitzer, welcome to Survive the Crap. For those of you that are new to the program, since I made this available to everyone, I want to let you know for a while I have been doing a very special membership podcast called Surviving the Crap. Simply because, you know, I talk every day with you about cut the crap, where we just want the politicians to cut the crap. But have you ever thought about that part of your life of what's going to happen if everything does fall apart? What if everything does go to hell in a handbasket? Well, over, well, let's say 20, it would have been 2006 or so, I wrote a book that uh, talks about survival. This is something very near and dear to my heart, simply because I had to survive a crisis, a major riot in Los Angeles. And even though I was raised this way, I didn't really realize how fast society could break apart if something went bad. And so I decided a while back to just start providing you information to help you, to help you understand what's going on and what you need to do if, in fact, everything went to hell in a handbasket. And that's what created Survive the Crap. Here's some of the topics I've covered before I get into this program, which everybody can listen to. I've talked about things like what are the essential non-food items you should be stocking up on. Sometimes you don't think about non-food items, but you also need to know what can be bartered for things. I've talked about the fastest growing food crops, the fastest growing fish crops. I've taught about shelf stability. How long do things really last? How to store seeds for a lifetime? What is the cheapest meat animal to raise yourself pound by pound? Uh, You know, surviving stories I tell at different times. How to smoke meat for long-term storage. Uh, Rainwater collection. How to long-term store flour or long-term store ammunition or long-term fuel source, you know, storage. How to find survival land. I've covered weird topics, too, like can you survive eating bugs? Which bugs can you actually eat or a medical trauma bag? What do you really need? Or how can you defend your water supply or how you can make something called a pipe vault? Do-it-yourself root cellars, edible plants that uh, you can eat from your pond. Yes, your pond. I talked about fallout food, nuclear winter food. I've talked about mushrooms, right? And I've done topics like, could you survive eating only one food? What food would that be? If you only had one food to eat and that was it, could you do it? How to make homemade fire logs and bricks. How to make black powder, right? If you actually had to make weapons to defend yourself, could you make you know, black powder, how is it done? Survival medicines, honey is survival medicine, urban survival ideas and tips, unique things like how to make what's called a poor man's steak or, you know, even powdered steak. And I've given you hacks, you know, life hacks, like how to do long-term food storage. You can powder it. I've talked about the food supply crisis How to make a fire when you don't have matches. What does it mean to be self-sufficient? Can you eat trees? Did you know you can actually eat trees? Really, bark up a tree. How you can survive stranded in the cold or snow. Can you eat raw freshwater fish to survive? I talk about rations, where they came from. Vegetables you can grow indoors. How to make vodka from potatoes. That's a good one because it's used for medicine. 
you're on enjoyment and trading. I talked about a process called valorization you should know about. I talked about some weird plants like a corn dog on a stick, right? Or why does my truck smell like french fries? It's actually a military secret you should know about. Are there different things you can use for eggs exchange, right? How to create an easy instant food bunker. Five wild edibles you need to know about if you're out in the forest. Saponins, that's cleaners. How can you make them? I expose the myth of dehydrated and freeze-dried foods and why you should consider doing it yourself and even various foods that will grow fast, etc., etc. I could keep on going on. And that's why I do this series, simply because at heart, I'm a country boy. I was raised this way. I know how to can. I know how to sow. I know how to survive. You know I do exploration. But more importantly, I got caught in Los Angeles. In the middle of a riot that shut down the city where everything was burning as far as you could see and they were shooting at the planes and couldn't leave for a week. Society can fall apart very fast. I don't want you to have to experience that. And so I did this series. Survived the crap. How to hack it. When all goes to hell, it's really easy to remember. Just go to survivethecrap.substack.com. Very easy survivethecrap.substack.com Some are public, most are paid because it's a subscription service. It's a membership organization where I'm trying to get you prepared for what can happen. It's an insurance policy. There are things you just need to know. Now, this morning on my broadcast... Somehow, I don't even remember how because my broadcast was not about it. We got to talking about chickens. I like chickens. Have you ever watched chickens play football or rugby? Yeah, you get your chickens out in your yard. Take a slice of bread, cut it into four pieces. Now you got one little four piece. Flick it out there amongst your chickens. One will grab it and haul ass so they can eat it. All the other chickens will pile on and bump them trying to take away that bread, and invariably one will. And it's a game of rugby. It's very funny to watch. But I... I, I don't know why there's something in me that I just like watching chickens scrounge around and scratch and forage. It brings me great peace. Now, as you think about possibly food supply and what should you should do if you had to grow your own food supply, and most cities do allow backyard chickens, I'm giving this open for all lesson in what's called heritage breeds, and I'm intentionally covering chickens. Because you, you can do even just the smallest things to feel comfortable that you're at least doing something for your family and taking your destiny, taking your life, and doing a little bit of insurance policy just to make sure you, well, can survive. If all goes to hell in a handbasket. So let's just talk about chickens for a moment. Most of the chickens, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of breeds of chickens around the globe. What you and I and everybody else buys at the store to consume is predominantly three types. That's it. Out of hundreds and hundreds. Three types. And it's just like anything in our crop system, our food system. 
it's what can grow the fastest be the cheapest they don't care about necessarily nutrition it's about bulk that's why your laundry detergents have so much water in them when you've got water at home already but it's also why these chickens that they raise they just want to pack on the meat and they really don't care about the animal's health and it's just about getting this what should be a chicken to turn into a beast as quick as it can i realized how bad this was a few years back when i was over in china you know the government owns the hog production but i saw the weirdest thing in my life i saw basically square pigs i'm not kidding you take a elongated square a rectangle basically put a little pig face on one end little curly tail on the other and just put four little stubs but not on the bottom of the rectangle move them a little bit to the outside and up the side and you have these genetically engineered china pigs they eat so much they eventually stop walking but they keep on feeding them because their snouts can get in the pans and then just about the time they're just too damn sick and can't do anything then they'll haul them off and butcher these things can't even walk they're so bad but see that's what happens in our food supply you know the the broiler chicken here in the united states is the hybrid breed that people raise for meat i did this on my own i i went got some of the pilgrim's pride chickens it's supposed to be the best right and the damn thing did grow but eventually it couldn't walk i was stupid i thought i could raise some no the thing just ballooned up to a bowling ball and couldn't walk i found it one day in its inability to walk in the throes of dying and it wasn't that i mean it was unhealthy i i, I didn't realize you know it's just how freaking obese it was but but it, it had it had stumbled into an ant mound and it just couldn't move because it was too big to get away fast and then the ants just over swarmed it was absolutely horrible well those are the chickens that they raise in these very 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 tiny cages these are the hybrids and the genetically modifieds that they've done that basically uh will quickly get to pounds and pounds and pounds right just fast boom genetically even the females that should you know lay several hundred eggs a year even if you were they were to lay some they can barely lay a hundred yeah they're docile and friendly but they're live when the, their lives should be a decade their life is lucky to be three years because they're not hardy and also they bred out the ability to forage yeah think about that they bred out the ability to forage in the very chickens that you're buying they bred it out they they literally deprogrammed them through breeding and the ability to scratch and peck and forge and take care of themselves and so that's why on this program i'm going to be talking about what's called heritage chickens or heritage poultry because it actually applies to turkey or chicken flocks but I want to remind you why you should consider it is if, in fact, you are going to get chickens or you're moving this way.
you can do a couple of things for yourself that are much more noble than just providing food for your family. See, with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different breeds of chickens, you have to understand, and, and by the way, the peta folks don't talk about that, PETA and all the activists and shit, they don't, they don't bitch about the fact that most of the heritage poultry breeds are dying or have died from extinction. More chicken versions have died from extinction than any other animal in history. And it's because in modern times and consumerism, they've kind of altered our view of poultry. You see, for thousands of years, we took what nature gave us. And here it was, and we worked within nature's limitations, and everything thrived and was great. We weren't feeding our chickens antibiotics and hormones. But man intervened. Man felt they could do it better. And instead of just raising a sustainable breed, which still could have been done, it was about produce it out, get it more, produce it out, get it more. And what happened is we finally came out with birds that could not breed naturally and could not hatch its own eggs. That's where we are today. It's not talked about. Yeah, you know, they, they work with them and inseminate them to get these big meat uh, chicken things, you know, stick the straw in the bird's hoo-hoo to inseminate it just like anything else. Yeah, that hen will lay eggs. She won't brood them. She won't take care of them. That's been bred out of her, so they'll take those eggs and they'll hatch them somewhere and they'll keep on doing it. And it's because they've lost what God gave them, lost what nature gave them, and we're sticking that crap in our body. What happened is the chickens that your, depending upon your age, your grandparents, great-grandparents raised, are not the chickens we're eating today. Chickens used to be something people were proud of. That was part of why. You ever wondered why your grandmother, great-grandmother collected all those cool-looking looking, uh, ceramic chickens and stuff? It's because it was the heritage breeds. It was something to be proud of, right? Something to be proud of. There was a time when people wanted to you know, collect versions of the different breeds because they even knew 100 years ago that these things are, are, are starting to to disappear you can't find them anymore but nobody talked about it and it's because in the 21st century starting in the 20th century chickens were frequently bred according to a predetermined breed standards what does that mean somebody put together a organization giving examples like the british poultry standard which is still published today that they decided this was the best chicken, and here's the standard. And everybody bred for that standard, but they went away predominantly because some of them fell out of standards, and, and very few of them are true breeds anymore. And, you know, there's all these hybrids. That one I told you about, which is the meat chicken, that's, that's a hybrid. There's nothing that is passed on 
to their offspring. And it's kind of hit or miss if it's passed on to their offspring. But every chicken has a, a story. Did you know there's, I guess, let's say there's five breeds from Afghanistan that are unique and pure from Afghanistan. There's like five from Albania, four unique chicken breeds from Australia, three from Austria, Belgium. I mean, Belgium has about 50. Brazil has its own. Bulgaria has like two genetic, two uh, original breeds. Canada has two. Chile has one. China has, I think, seven. Croatia has its own. Cuba has its own. Cyprus, right? The island of Cyprus has uh, Cypriot chickens. All true generic, not generic, but you know what I mean, historic breeds. Czech Republic, Egypt, uh, let's see, Egypt has about 25, Finland, about the same 25, France, France is chicken central, baby, we're like talking 60 unique breeds, heritage breeds from France, Germany, my homeland, even more, and all kinds, we're talking 100 plus in Germany, Greece, has seven. Iceland even has its own. Genetically disposed for what they have. India has about 30. Indonesia has like nine. Iran has its own. It has two. They have one, a a rumpless chicken, believe it or not. Italy has about 25. Japan has four. Korea has one. Kosovo has one. Malaysia has three. The Mariana Islands has one. Manamar They have two unique ones. The Netherlands has about 20. Norway has a unique one. Pakistan has like, I don't know, five. Philippines has five. Poland has three. Portugal has four. Romania, of all places. Yeah, Dracula land. The Transylvania naked neck. Interesting chicken. A naked neck. But it's a heritage breed that comes from there. Russia has two. Serbia has three. Slovenia, Slovenia. Slovakia, sorry, one. Slovenia, Slovenia has uh, five. South Africa has four. Spain has uh, about uh, 25. Sweden has about 10. Switzerland has uh, five. Taiwan even has one. Thailand has four. Turkey, the country, has five. Ukraine has one. United Kingdom has about uh, 25. And the United States has about 25. Vietnam uh, has also about 15. These are all true heritage breeds. And the heritage breeds go back to the bird basically as God made it over time. They all have these interesting physical traits, different egg colors, different nutritional values. Some are ornamentals, some are meat. Like at my place, I don't eat guineas. Guineas are an African heritage breed. I use guineas at my ranch for yard alarms. If they somebody comes to the property, they don't know. They just start squawking. They let you know they're the perfect alarm system. They recognize who you are in family. But do you know a single guinea eats about 3,000 ticks a day? I never used any pesticides on my place simply because of the guineas. And you just, you understand things about them. You know, you raise your little hatchlings, you put them in a certain area of your land and you feed them and raise them there. And then when you 
basically let them free and they're ready to roam, they'll go right back to that area and trees, and they only span out from those trees there. So these animals, besides being incredibly smart, I know it sounds weird, have so many uses other than just thinking about them for food, but we're killing ourselves. When you think about chickens, the number one thing we consume, and we're using six breeds, really only about three, We've lost our, our heritage around these things. We forgot how to work with inside nature's limitations. You see, way back when, we didn't just want the meat. We wanted strong, healthy birds that could take care of themselves, healthy birds that would breed naturally, that would hatch their eggs. But everything started changing. The, the big change really only came in about 1960. It's interesting. All those, these started falling off before that. In, 19, in the 1960s, there was this kind of really cool thing to start uh, mixing and breeding looking for really cool, beautiful, you know, cockerels and pullets and whatever the ca case. But we started tinkering. We started tinkering. And we started tinkering with turkey breeds as well. And in, in just literally a, a handful, double handful of years in the 1960s, these popular meat chickens and turkeys in that short of time could not even reproduce their own naturally. So what happened is a search went on. It didn't take long for the farmers to go, wow, something's wrong with this system. So something happened in the 70s. And there was this thing that was called the Livestock Conservancy. Conservancy con, I'm butchering that one, but you know what I'm saying. Conservancy was started. And everything started to become about protecting the genetic resources and keeping the genetic resources healthy in order to preserve our history and our heritage. And that's why I'm doing this program on heritage chicken breeds. Because if you'll take the time to find them, they're out there. You may have to put a little word into it or work into it. But it's about protecting them. Because, see, remember, in the short span of 20 years, because it only took 20 years, 20 years Americans became divorced from their land and in 40 years, it's already passed, we've, been, we've become divorced from where our food comes from. That's why homestead heritage, various heritage breeds are so incredibly important. If, you, if you're going to take the step anyway to feed your family and get into this, would you consider saving a genetic line that makes sense? Most people now know that, you know, our, our eggs can be really cheap and crappy in the store. And, and you know it, folks. Come on. Whether it's a tomato, 
you get at the store, they're trying to prematurely ripen or keep it from ripening just for shipping, and you eat into it versus one you pull out of the garden. There's a difference between what we're eating and what God gave us naturally, operating naturally. <laughs> Isn't that more truth today than the trans agenda? But anyway, if you're taking time to get great eggs, right? You're getting incredible eggs, but we've also moved into this place where we just automatically think the brown eggs are healthier, and that's not the case. And then the white eggs you're getting are bleached and processed. So most people are always understanding, right? Always understanding. And you know that the large supermarket broilers and stuff are always genetically modified now. They're pumped full of hormones, and yes, they're going to start putting the mrna vaccines and the chicken so if you want to eat your vaccines great that's fine with you and by the way they put you know shoppers put their faith in free range or cage free it doesn't mean anything it's little bitty loopholes right it's little bitty loopholes that allow them to do it all those labels i covered it in a different program i'm not going to do it here but a crap but don't know anything about they'll take these chickens and cut their beaks off boom cut them off you know why they cut them off because the chickens go crazy and eat each other and if you found out that your average supermarket chicken is only alive about six weeks you'd probably fall out but the realities of what is humane and normal rarely falls within the consumer's broad understanding few people know that between 1925 and 2005, the time required for a meat chicken to top three pounds. Okay, so a meat chicken, you're looking, you're looking for it to be three, three pounds when you butcher it, okay? This is going to explain to you how quick the genetic mods happened and they started franking meat in our food. But hang on. So between 1925... To 2005 that's the timeline we're using the time required for a meat chicken to top out at three pounds it started at four months to get that chicken to the three pounds by 2005 it was 30 days yeah by 2005 it was 30 days they they accelerated it 300 by the way it's shorter than 30 days now And a lot of these farms, whether you like it or not, they never tell you that they are allowed, <laughs> that many of these chickens will pass. And if they just kind of pass within a proper window, they die because something's wrong with them. They'll still send them to the butcher. And they do not have to report cardiovascular problems and all this stuff going to the supermarket. So I just want you to think about heritage chickens because if you are in a survival mode you can do many things to bring back to bring back what the way god made things and we and we can do it and it's only because we're uneducated in it you know meat from cornish cross chickens is tender and plentiful and it's lighter in flavor cheaper and to somebody who's uneducated about animal husbandry, those traits are important. 
but it's probably because you've never had a chance to compare the lies of a heritage chicken to the hybrid chicken crosses. Yeah, it's a difference between something that lives years, productive and healthy, to something that dies fast because it can't live. So for something to be a heritage chicken breed, it must meet the following qualifications to be considered heritage. It basically means that their parent or grandparent stock has been recognized by the American Poultry Association prior to the mid-20th century. 20th century's 1900s, folks. Prior to the mid-1900s. That's just about the time that the large-breasted hybrids took hold. Interesting. Just about the time we got large silicone-breasted hybrids women, too. Interesting. Anyway... But it's got to be the breeds that can reproduce naturally. Now, the breeds that are heritage breeds have the genetic ability to live a long and vigorous life outside of a cage or barn. And hens are productive for seven years, roosters five years. They have a slower growth rate which means they reach market, quote-unquote, market rate after 16 weeks of age. But see, the difference between slow growth and genetic strength totally, almost totally, eliminate all of the health issues that are associated with the stuff we're eating today. Yeah, yeah there are some meat chickens, by the way, that exist in heritage breeds. Brahma chickens reach 9 to 12 pounds at maturity. Jersey giants reach between 10 to 13 pounds, but they take much longer than six weeks to get there. And so when you're choosing chickens, you got to decide, am I doing a meat chicken? Am I doing a, uh, uh, an egg chicken? Am I want a dual purpose chicken, right? Dual purpose chicken are the healthy answer to you as a sustainer doing sustainable stuff for both meat and eggs. Chickens called Delawares or Rolite and Reds are both dual-purpose heritage breeds that have great health and vigor. You do have to understand, though, the feed-to-meat ratio of a dual-purpose breed isn't nearly as favorable as that broiler that's just fattening up. A good example is the very steak and stunning blue Andalusian chickens, which are beautiful. They produce large white eggs comparable to the leggerns. Same thing. They're loud. They're kind of anti-social birds. A little bit of a wild instinct. One of the ones people like are the Icelandic chickens. It can kind of be hard to find if you don't have access to a breeder. Heritage chickens can fly. And they do roost as their ancestors did. Yes, you can clip the wings. Remember, the, the more centralized the roaming, the fluffier, softer the meat is. Birds that just run around, I learned the hard way. <laughs> Horrible story about a 4th of July party, but I learned I let my chickens run 50 acres. I had some lean chicken, but you couldn't eat the chicken meat. Eggs were great, though, right? Eggs were fantastic. You just got to decide what you want to do it for. Quartz of no quails I told you about in an earlier program. You can go back and listen to that. Let's just talk about 
you know, because you, you, you can look up the Heritage Breeds, like the Russian Orloffs, et cetera, et cetera. It's easy to, to find them. This is just to kind of give you a top-level view of what a Heritage Breed is and why they're important. In North America, for about the last 40 years, North America produces about 300 million turkeys. And most of them are a variation of what's called a broad-breasted white. It's a bird that 70% of its mass is in its breast. But the breasts are so big. I've had these too. I tried them out. I had to learn the hard way, folks. I told you this. I thought, man, I'm going for big old turkeys. I could never hatch the eggs. She'd sit on her eggs. Never hatch. See, I didn't know that because they of how they've been read, uh, bred for this 70% mass of turkey in its breast, meaning they moved the body mass, they bred it for big boobs. I like big boobs and my turkeys can't deny it. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 they bred them to have 70% of the meat in their breast. You know them as the Dolly Parton bird. No, I just made that up. But you understand what I'm saying. The problem is, because of the design of the breast being so damn big, I didn't know that these beasts of a breasty birds had to be artificially inseminated. Folks, I've done a lot of funky things in my life, but I've never artificially inseminated a chicken or a turkey. I had no idea. Kind of stuff they don't tell you. You think you're doing something right. You know, you, you, you buy them, you raise them, and think you're going to raise big old fat turkeys. How great was that for your family to have raise your own Christmas turkey? Well, in reality, these broad-bested whites, toms, and hens, are butchered young because a mature bird, believe it or not, a mature bird can top 50 pounds. They can get so big that their tendons will slip and they will break their own legs. Well, the cause and effect, folks, is when this bird, this turkey, because now we're talking about turkeys, was introduced to the commercial turkey market, all other natural breeds faded in numbers. By 1997, almost all other turkey breeds in the United States, and globally, by the way, by 1997, were in danger of extinction. Many of them went. And you see, you know, just talk about the PETA doesn't care about this. You eat it. They want you to stop eating turkey, and they want you to be humane, but they won't talk about the real facts of what the industry does on a bigger scale. In 1997, of these heritage breeds... There were only 1,500, 1,500 folks, heritage breeds of turkeys left in the United States in 1997. And that was all heritage breeds, things like blue slate turkeys and bourbon reds. Nargarnasset, am I saying that right? Nargarnasset breed had over a few, fewer than a dozen remainings. And it seemed... That turkeys were beyond hope, but activism, right, took hold, fought hard, Livestock Conservancy and others, 
and they started teaching people to become poultry heritage enthusiasts and set up societies. That's why I'm a heritage. There's heirloom vegetables, too. I'm a heritage vegetable grower. And by what we do, a lot of it in word of mouth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of the breeds have come back, the ones that were still alive that could be saved, and, and now you can get them. And you just should consider it. Wouldn't you rather save a breed and have a decent turkey on your table if you're going to do that and, and know that you've kept this incredible species and stuff alive instead of just, you know, making a little more turkey salad and turkey with rice and turkey broth and ground turkey, you know what I mean. And so over, even though over 25, or excuse me, 200 plus million of those industrial turkeys are now process you can now buy because they've come back you can now buy heritage birds there's about 25,000 get sold a year for commercial consumption the numbers had increased uh, about 200 percent between 97 and 2003 and by 2006 the number of breeding birds from the heritage species topped over 8,800 which is a great thing great thing now, even though the criteria for heritage turkeys are similar to heritage chickens, there is one exception. And some of these specific breeds don't really have a date back to the mid-20th century, so you got a, you got a few little variations in it. There's always the standard ones, right, like the White Holland. It was validated by the American Poultry Association in 1874. Some other ones, uh, turkeys, you might not have heard about them. The chocolate dapple, the silver auburn, right? The ones that are on still on the uh, critical list, which you should take a look at if you can get them. If you want to try your hand at a few turkeys and do something good and great and honorable and honoring God and honoring the land and really honoring the animal. Here's some of the critical list in turkeys. The chocolates, the Beltville small white, the Jersey buff, the lavender turkey, and the midget white. The ones that are still, uh, should we say, threatened, Nar- Narganeset and the white holland. And some that are need more breeders, but they're strong at the moment, are the Royal Palm, the Bourbon Red, the Black, the Slate, and the Standard Bronze. I believe that, like you've been saying that we've done with NeverEverBeef.club, I hope you've taken the time to check into that, where the herd has been controlled for 30 generations, I think the same is about to be taking underway with both turkeys and chickens. It's something to look into. I think it's going to be a fantastic category because I think people, even though they're going to stay in the cities, are going to want to go back to heritage breeds that they know aren't Frankenbirds, right? Frankenbirds. Many people say raising heritage turkeys have many rewards. Farmers report that they're more... uh, intelligent and industrial right than just the broad bested crap that are out there they're raising 
Chefs claim they're more flavorful. I have found that too. I have found that as well. These heritage breeds have incredibly fantastic taste. And it was only then, it's kind of like really having a good coffee. You know, we went from Folgers to ground, you know, really good beans. It's like when you finally recognize coffee does have all these nuances. It's great. Same thing in these chickens and in these turkeys. Ducks are the same way. There are heritage ducks and geese. And what's happening in those is, yeah, they can get, become infertile industrial versions but there are waterfowl that are in danger only because they're becoming less popular for meat and eggs i don't know why people don't think about this especially in the united states but people go "Ooh, duck i love duck i barbecued duck man it's the bomb smoked duck i'm telling you if you've never had smoked duck you have got to get you some smoked duck. It's, may, it's it, incredible. Now, of course, ducks still are all over the place in Southeast Asia. But in the Western world, chickens are bigger. But I want to let you know, we've been fed a load of crap about natural fats and meats and stuff. And we consume synthetic fats. And look at us. They tell you, don't add ducks too fatty. And look what look at pictures of us from the 1970s and the beach to now. I mean, oh my God, we've gone pasty and round. Look at Asians. You don't find that. And they're consuming almost exclusively duck. That should tell you something about staying, staying to the land. Did you know that people that are allergic to chicken eggs almost always are able to eat duck eggs? Yeah. Another one of these birds, you remember how I told you about guineas or kind of watchdogs and alarms? You know, geese are the same way. But once again, goose meat and eggs has declined. Turkeys have replaced the Christmas goose. It used to be the Christmas goose. I look hard when I can to find a Christmas goose instead of a Christmas turkey. We used to have great geese market in the United States, but even down comforters have gone to cheaper synthetic fibers instead of natural goose feathers, and there is a big difference. Even the most critically endangered waterfowl, ironically, are the most beautiful. The Ancona and magpie ducks, you know, are pied black and white. The Welsh harlequins are some of the calmest. They produce the most eggs per year even more than heritage chicken breeds but once again in the you in the year 2000 looking back at it there were only 128 actual breeding silver apple yard ducks apple yard that silver apple yard ducks that existed in north america why is that just so you understand that silver silver apple yard ducks that's the 2,000-year-old breed of Roman geese. Ruffled, feathered, cestopol geese. They're, you know, it's... So I would encourage you that if you're going to look into your food and if you're going to raise a few birds or whatever, 
try looking into these heritage poultry. It's a really interesting phenomenon. And they're a disappearing breed that is very, very worth saving. They have incredible natural long lifespans. Yeah, they're going to grow a little slower. Who cares? Who really cares? Are you going to raise birds because you can get it fat quick? Are you going to raise a bird that you can be proud of and feed your family well? I'm amazed when I look at some of these birds and the colors they have in heritage chickens. The colors and the feathers are wild. I don't know about you. Might might sound totally stupid. But I am one of these people, when I look at a beautiful flower and the colors, it makes me think of God. When I look at poultry and stuff and I just watch what they do and it's all inherent how God made them right and I look at some of these colors, it makes me think of God. These rare birds, these fancy feathers, they even have different shades of age. Of eggs. They can go from white to a peachy brown to brown to green. You've seen the green ones, even purple. Yeah. The Langshan egg is purple. It's kind of a purplish plum. It's just amazing. And the good thing about um, these heritage breeds. I, I kind of pay attention to this, and the heat wave's been going across the U.S. at a bit, and people are reporting their birds are dying all over, and it's because they're raising these hybrids and genetic ones, and they can't do it. They don't have the strength. They don't have the vitality to do it. Non-heritage chickens cannot survive the fluctuations. Non-heritage chickens will never be able to match the hardiness of heritage chickens, by the way, which if you do your homework, were bred to withstand cold winters and hot summers. A good example would be the New Hampshire breeds. They're totally acclimated to cold New Hampshire winters. While the buttercup breed can handle not only the hot south, but the very steamy, humid summers. Uh, a breed like uh, the Okona, it lays its eggs through the winter, and it does well in the heat and the freezing temperatures. These heritage chickens that are rare now were not rare breeds at once of a time. They were, once upon a time, these were the ones that, because of where they were oriented, they lived outdoors. They didn't live in climate-controlled barns. And that is why heritage chickens can have a productive outdoor life. And by the way, they naturally return to the safe coop at night. That's what they're designed to do. These old-fashioned farmyard flocks, remember, they ranged over the entire farm. They were chickens that knew how to spot and taste and gobble up all the tasty buds and healthy greens that thrived and flourished. It's like guineas. Guineas will eat poisonous snakes when the babies come out. And you can't see the little snakes, they find them. This is a genetic trait that was passed down genetically. I could go to my ranch where I had the giddies, and I could go on the neighbor's land, and I could walk through it, and I would be pummeled. I would be pummeled with massive grasshoppers at different times. You know, when there's a big grasshopper boom, which can decimate your crops. 
at the fence line of my land where the guineas were trained to range and this was their land they'll learn it you know of course a guinea can walk through a barbed wire fence no big deal but they stay on your land i could walk the entire width and depth of my land and never see a big grasshopper chewing something up why because that was the domain of my animals and they took care of the place and so when you think about if you're going to kind of let them roam and you're going to have them with a heritage flock they already have the natural genetic disposition for foraging ability they feed themselves there's nothing you need to supply your chickens during the spring and summer months (laughs) and they also keep your yard pest and bug free right have you ever heard of a broody hen do you know what a broody hen is a broody hen is the hen that has that motherly instinct that motherly instinct has been bred out of chickens why because the chickens aren't raised by their mothers it's incubators in your heritage ones you will find hens that not only are broody, they'll go take other hens' eggs who aren't sitting on them enough, and they'll sit on any one of them's eggs because they want to hatch them. They, wanna, they want to hatch them. Finding a, a broody hen is incredible. It's the best way of increasing your flock. Heritage breeds have these maternal instincts. You got combos, you got Plymouth Rock and the Java. Java is one of the oldest breeds in the U.S., by the way. They have meaty bodies and excellent age production. That's a dual-purpose chicken that we talked about. But remember, on heritage breeds, some can be dual-purpose. Some are exclusively for meat. Some are exclusively for eggs. You can mix all of these together. But I'm telling you, there is a need to preserve the diverse genetics that God gave us over time. Not only in America, everywhere. We need to not only be able to take care of ourselves, but you want to be a good steward of what God gave us. Well, we have to preserve these potentially valuable heritage traits, like the ability to forge or to adapt to cold to heat. You can take some of these chickens, which I told you I did it myself, thinking I wanted some of these big meat chickens. I had ability to do it from a buddy who lived near a pilgrim's fry place, got them. The the dumb animal would just sit there and not do shit. It wouldn't peck the ground if it life depended on it, it's because it's not instinctual to them anymore. So I want to invite you to look into heritage breeds in anything. I've, I've done it on hogs for you. I, I covered a little bit in turkeys. And I want you to share this program. My gut tells me we're headed for tough times. My gut tells me you have to be prepared. Now, I did a program on July 17th. It's called Survival Fast Food, Power Protein Plan. There is one bird that is so amazing and can feed your family fast that you might consider, and you can do a little bitty cage, and you can do them in your backyard, and it's absolutely amazing. But this is why I do this, to survive the crap, because I want you to be able to hack it when it all goes to hell, We've got to bring back this knowledge base and it just gives you a sense of grounding and peace and belief that you're doing something for yourself in a system 
that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. And that's why I want you to be able to survive the crap.